Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the programme. You can visit the website anytime you like, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. bring you tonight another opportunity to hear one of our special documentaries from Our Nature on One series, which is broadcast on public holidays right here on RTE Radio 1. This time, it's the turn of The Pigeon. The programme is presented by Terry Flanagan. Some love them. Some hate them. Some feed them. Others shoot them. Some race them. And believe it or not, others eat them. The humble pigeon. All the world seems in tune on a spring afternoon when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. <laughs> Every Sunday you'll see my sweetheart and me as we poison the pigeons in the park. When they see us coming, the birdies all try and hide. But they still go for peanuts when coated with cyanide. The sun's shining bright, everything seems all right when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. Some of you will be familiar with that famous song by Professor Tom Lehrer. It is one of the many satirical pieces that the Harvard mathematician penned. But in reality, pigeons have played a very important role throughout history. The results of the first Olympic Games in 776 BC were delivered by pigeon. Every athlete brought a homing pigeon to the Games and when the event was over, they were released to announce the winners, thus ensuring that villagers were able to welcome their heroes home. News of Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo first arrived in London by carrier pigeon. Reuters started its European business by using homing pigeons to carry information between financial houses. Picasso admired them, often painting them, and he even named his daughter Paloma, which is Spanish for pigeon. And Charles Darwin kept and studied pigeons, observing artificial selection, thereby helping him with his theory of evolution and he dedicated a large part of his famous book on the origin of species to his work on pigeons. But what exactly is a pigeon? So a pigeon is a bird. There is no real distinction between pigeons and doves. They're part of the same family. The most common species of pigeon in Ireland that we'd be most familiar with is the wood pigeon. So it's this gorgeous lump of a bird. It's kind of a grey slate colour. It has this gorgeous kind of reddish, pinkish um, breast. It has a dark grey head with these lovely white neck patches on its neck and metallic green on its neck as well. It's absolutely stunning. It's a very regal bird, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's more regal, I think, than we give it credit for because it's so ubiquitous and we're so used to seeing it. I think we overlook it quite a lot, but it is. It's, it is quite regal. There are in excess of 350 pigeon species in the world, six of which have been recorded here in Ireland. The feral pigeon, which is a descendant of the rock dove, is common throughout our towns and villages. Tara Adcock is Urban Birds Project Officer with Birdwatch Ireland. Yeah, so the feral pigeon's history is, is really, really fascinating. Its wild ancestor is the rock dove. So it's a species that was thought to be um, pretty much extinct across its range. So it ranged across North Africa, Asia and Europe. But some extant populations have been found. So one example is Cape Clear off the coast of County Cork. And then there's also populations up in the Outer Hebrides in Scotland and a couple of other islands around Scotland. But the feral pigeon's population is incredibly fascinating. It's the first wild bird to ever be domesticated. So it was domesticated 6,000 years ago in the Middle East. Its first purpose for domestication was for both food and for fertiliser. So its guano is, is really, really rich. 
One of the other really remarkable things about the feral pigeon is its homing ability. So it is an incredible navigator. And the Persians and the Syrians clued into this as far back as the 5th century BC when they're using the rock doves, the kind of ancestors of the feral pigeons, to create these massive messenger systems right across Persia and Syria. So yeah, their homing capabilities are, are really, really incredible. And we continued using them for this purpose right up until just after the Second World War. During the First and Second World Wars, pigeons saved thousands of human lives by carrying messages across enemy lines. Almost one million pigeons participated in the two world wars and the attrition rate was very high. However, many did make it back carrying vital information and one Irish pigeon stood head and shoulders above the rest. His name was Paddy. So Paddy the Pigeon was such an incredible, incredible pigeon and he uh, was awarded his Dickin Medal in September 1944, a few months after the event for which he received the medal, which um, his story is that he was one of around 30 pigeons who were serving with the RAF in World War II and they were released to deliver the news of the successful D-Day landings back to England and uh, he battled through bad weather, he avoided, uh, the, the Germans used to send up falcons to, to kill the pigeons, to, to divert those messages, he avoided those, and he completed a 230 mile journey in just under five hours, which is just incredible, it was an average speed of about 56 miles an hour, and he was one of the first back to deliver those messages from Normandy back to England, so an incredible story for Paddy. Shauna Walsh is a veterinary nurse with the UK-based charity PDSA, the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals. So the PDSA Dickin Medal is one of three medals in our Animal Awards programme and it was instituted in 1943 by our founder, Maria Dickin. And what this medal in particular acknowledges is the outstanding acts of bravery, displayed by animals serving within the armed forces or the civil defence units worldwide. And so far, we've awarded it to 38 dogs, 32 pigeons, four horses and one cat. As fate would have it, the operation in which Paddy carried information of the Allied invasion of Normandy was codenamed U2. And a plaque commemorating this heroic wartime carrier pigeon is on display in the harbour town of Carnlock, in Northern Ireland. Paddy was awarded his Dickin Medal on September 1st, 1944. So here we are. If I have a look for us here, um, I have it in the drawer here. And here we have the one and only Dickin Medal. Oh, the yeah. only, it was the only medal awarded ever to an Irish animal or an Irish pigeon and dates from the Second World War. It's really nice. It's very, very old looking. It's a bronzy colour, it's got a lovely ribbon on the top of it and written on it for gallantry and on the back Paddy, Paddy's name's engraved on it. But there was only one Irish medal and that was for Paddy. That is absolutely correct. Um, we're very lucky in Ireland to have this medal and to be able to retain the medal as it is, as you say, the only Dickin medal ever awarded to any animal from Ireland. Kevin Spring has had an interest in pigeons all his life and he is the present owner of Paddy's Dickin Medal. In 1999, it came up for auction. And at the time, I was a commandant in the FCA. And it's not unusual for army officers or soldiers to collect military, and medals would often be discussed in the officer's mess. When I saw this advertised for sale, I had an immediate interest because of my military leanings. But you also kept pigeons yourself. I, I also kept pigeons, and at the time I was the chairman of the Greenhills and District Racing Pigeon Club. So I loved the sport, I loved the military, and this was a, a way of buying a little bit of history where I would have the only medal awarded to an Irish pigeon. It was a military medal, and I love pigeons. Tell me a little bit about Paddy's life history then. Paddy was born in, would have been early 1943. He would have been trained in Carn Lock by his owner, Captain Andrew Hughes. But then he donated to the RAF. RAF had lofts in Hearn in the south of England. And it, he was resettled there in March of 1944, 
was retrained and eventually went on the very important mission that he succeeded on the 12th of June 1944. Now, when he was trained, he was taken over then to France. What happened there? There he would have been put into lofts. Now, there was hundreds of thousands of pigeons used in both the First and Second World War. The lofts were run by the RAF and they would have loft managers. They would feed the pigeons, train the pigeons, segregate them and work out which were the best pigeons. And through training, you know which pigeons are coming fastest, coming best uh, from training, and they're the ones that you use for the special missions. How difficult would the journey have been coming back? The difficulty, obviously, in pigeons being released was that the Germans knew the uses that they were put to and did their utmost to stop pigeons leaving the Normandy area and getting back to the UK. So they would certainly, if they saw a batch, they would be trying to shoot them down. But they also would release peregrine falcons, who would use the pigeons as prey and would certainly chase after them and would always be successful with some of the pigeons. But Paddy made it through. Paddy made it through and uh, lived a life of excellence thereafter. He was praised, he was written about in the press, Uh, he was notorious as the best pigeon from Ireland and also was always deemed as, as a very intelligent pigeon. When most of us think of pigeons... It's generally racing pigeons or homing pigeons that come to mind. Pigeon racing started in Belgium in 1818 and the first long distance race was between London and Belgium in 1823. Homing pigeons fly at an average speed of around 80 kilometers per hour but can reach speeds of up to 140 kilometers per hour over short distances. Often referred to as the poor man's racehorse, these feathered creatures have captured the hearts of many Dubliners. (laughs) On a late summer's evening, I travelled to an industrial estate in South County Dublin, where a group of pigeon fanciers were loading their birds for an important race the following day. Paul Curedale. We're off to Clonmel tonight, and I've... Hopefully about, what, an hour and three quarters, two hours tomorrow. And will you go down as well? No, no, all the pigeons go down. Right. And will they stay overnight? They stay overnight. They're fed and watered, well looked after. And tomorrow the the convoy makes sure the line of flight is good. The line of flight is good. He rings around and he rings Henry Bourne. Henry Bourne will give the go-ahead for him to pull all the strings and pull the, let them out. And they head to for all the lofts in Dublin. So that's basically what happens. And how many birds have you gone off tonight? We have um, 30, 26 birds away. One last week as well. One barley cough last week. You won? Yeah. And what about this week? This week is... Well, hopefully... <laughs> I won't know till tomorrow, but yeah, hopefully. Now, that's a couple of hundred kilometres, is it? Barley cough is 194. Right. This week it'll be 87 or something. See, there's the second half of the young birds. Yeah. They're only starting off again. So, so are you excited tonight? Ah, it's like Christmas, come on. And then tomorrow, what time is the off? Tomorrow the off is, if the weather's bad, they could be, say, half 11, 12. But once the weather gets good, now at 8 o'clock in the morning the weather's good, they ring around and they could be out at 8. And but you'll know the moment they're let go? Text on your phone, right. straight away. And then you're sitting at the loft waiting for you're, them to You're back. sitting for that, ah... After an hour, you get the jitters. Then you say, now I'll go out. Then you come back in, you go out, you come back in. And then you wait for the first pigeon that you see in the sky. You see it, you know it's coming to yours. So that's what you do. Uh, and and a big smile in your face. Do all the pigeons make it home? No. Despite their name, as Paul says, not all homing pigeons find their way home. Hello and welcome to the programme. You can visit the website anytime you like, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. A number of years ago on the Mooney Goes Wild programme, we received an email from Leo Kirby in County Limerick. A homing pigeon, which he christened Percy, arrived in his yard and after making contact with Percy's owner, Leo set about releasing him. But after a number of refusals to return to his home in County Armagh, 
Leo took him to a playing field in County Tipperary, hoping that at last he might fly home. Hiya, Percy. Oh, he's lovely. There he is. Oh, I can see the two rings, too, on his legs yes. as well. He's yes. beautiful. Look at that that lovely greeny sheen, too, on him. He's and he's very tame. He's extremely He doesn't tame. mind you handling him there at no, all. he's extremely tame. Uh, he will peck you. He does go after us, and he pecks the ankles off us. Right. And we give him a bit of food. We give him a bit of kind of bird seed, which he likes. And then what happened was we said we'd give him another go at trying to get to his home place. So one of the days I was going back to work, and I took him with me. And I said, we'll release him here now. And uh, that was a northerly direction. And um, we thought he'd go back. And then I did release him, went up into the air. He did a circle and a half and flew off straight line. And you were happy. You thought he was I gone home. he was gone from home, yeah. I got a phone call from my wife, Millie, less than five minutes later. Bear in mind now, this is about 12, maybe 15 miles. And Percy was back on the windowsill of the utility room looking to get in. So how many times is that now in total that you've tried oh, to release him? That's three times in total. Right. Three times now. Now today we're at a GAA football field. We're just outside it here in Nina. That's about, what, 30 kilometres away from your yeah. house. And we're going to have another go at release yeah. now. And hopefully we might go away for a cup of tea or something and mm. then get back in the car and go back to where I'm from and see if he's home. Hopefully he will be, or else he'll be gone back up to Armagh. That's what's <laughs> going to happen. OK, well, let's get out there and see where can we let him go from. Just over there in that corner, I think, will work OK. So let's have a go with it then. OK, now, Leo, you lead the way and All you right, tell me what's going to happen. Just go. We'll take Percy over here, and I'm going to release him. Okay. So and, um, we're in a nice, wide, open space here now. The field is there, just in front of us. Yeah. It's quiet. There's no wind. There has been a little bit of drizzle earlier on, so I, yeah. I don't think that's going to affect him. No, I don't see any birds. There's cloud in the sky. So let's well, see if how. You, if you look now, Terry, when I release him, yeah. if you look, he he go straight up. Right. He'll do a circle and a half. And then he'll take off in a okay. straight line. Now, it's we want north. him to go that way, because that's yeah, north. That's north. So you show me how you're going to get him out here now. Okay, I'm just going to... You can hear him. Flap can hear him inside, in there. yeah. Here we go. So. Now, Percy, now it's Percy. time to go. One, two, three. There he goes. He's just doing... Just like you said, he's done a complete circle. Yeah. He's just yeah. gone around the back of that large tree there. Yeah. Here he comes around the far side. And look, I can see he's he's heading north. He's he's rising, and he's just gone down behind those trees there, just in the distance. That's north, isn't it? Yeah, that's north. So, so would you be hopeful that I'm hoping? Well, I, I, he'll either go back to Armagh or else he'll be going back south to where okay. I'm from. So I don't know. Well, the last sighting we've had of him there, he's going north. He's going north. Yeah. Job done. We put the kettle on. And after a quick cup of tea, both Leo and I headed back to County Limerick. All right, Terry, if you take a left here now, we're home. Oh, yeah. And Just put uh, it in here, will we? Yeah, that'd be great. OK. Right. Let's get out and see. Hi. Pleased to meet you. And you, Terry. Hi. We've come to see. Oh, there Look he is. Back. He's back. Oh, <laughs> Percy. Unbelievable. How long is he here? Oh, he's here quite a while. God, well, we let him go about what? About two hours two ago hours or so. Ago. Yeah. yeah. And he's back here. Yeah. It's, it's, I told you, it's remarkable. It's, yeah. I think it's remarkable that he can get his own way back. No matter where you leave him off from, he's going to come back here to us. And Millie, did you actually see him arriving back here today? I did, Terry. I saw him arriving. He came from this direction right and did his usual routine when he returns um, he just landed on the lower part the lower roof and just sits there for a while and you know I, I see your food left out from here as well food left out to welcome him back <laughs> <laughs> no wonder he comes back <laughs> yeah but um, yeah food left out so he'll pick at that now and he'll Probably. rest himself for the rest of the day yeah. yeah Millie what do you think of this pigeon I think he's fascinating. I'm absolutely, we're fascinated by him, the way he yeah. keeps returning and he's, 
he's just so good, you know. He's and he's, he's so, very tame as you can he's see. He's so tame here. You're you're handling him here, just petting yeah, him. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. And beautiful, beautiful colours. Beautiful colours, the purples and the greens. Yeah, he's he's so, so what are you going to do with him now? You you've had what, three or four goals at trying to release him. What yeah. what do you think will happen next? Yeah. I think at this stage, this is his new oh, home. Oh, there he's gone off there he's now. Gone, no, he's, he's just gone up onto the roof. Yeah, yeah. that's his passion. There he's looking down at us there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's happy up there. one roof to the other roof now, yeah. after about kind of five minutes. But I'd say at this stage, we'll keep him. But yeah. it's an incredible pigeon he is. And he's here with you now for a month. A month this evening, yeah. yeah. And he doesn't seem to want to go home to the no. north at all, no? No, no, he's very happy here. So it's a real home from home for Percy. Yes, it is. He seems very content here, yeah. He's happy out here. Yeah. This is his new home now. Although Percy failed to make it home to County Armagh, pigeons are considered to be a very successful group of birds. Ornithologist Ricky Whelan explains why. They're so successful across the globe, really, that would you believe, Terry, there's 352 described species of pigeons and doves. The, the family Columbidae is, is the pigeon family, which includes all the pigeons and doves. So that's not a mistake. Over 300 species have evolved. They're very adaptable, and there's two main reasons why they're, they're so successful. One is that they can breed almost year-round. and I'm, I'm talking specifically about the wood pigeon here in Ireland and the common wood pigeon we get. And the reason is, and like many of, of their cousins, they can produce a thing called crop milk, which allows them to feed their chicks even when food is thin on the ground. It can produce this crop milk, similar to the process where mammals make milk, and it's, it's produced in a membrane, the walls of the crop in their throat. And they produce this and they feed it to the young in the first weeks of life. So that gives them a, a head start in life. And uh, both the male and female, I believe, can produce this crop they milk. They can, they can. And actually, for that, another good reason is that they're very good parents and they share the duties of building the nest, of incubation, of feeding the young. And they only lay two eggs at a time, so they can put all their effort into two chicks and make sure these squabs, which is a, is a, is a young a young pigeon, is given the best chance in life. And young pigeons have over a 50% chance of survival in the first year, which is massive in the bird world. Like in some species, it would be, you know, less than sort of 0.10%. A lot of species have to, like pheasants, for example, like lay 15, 16 eggs in the hope that one of them will survive. With two eggs only, the wood pigeons are almost guaranteed to get one of those chicks away. Now, because they can breed almost throughout the entire year. I mean, there are records, many records of them laying eggs in every month of the year in Britain and Ireland, but they will probably lay closer to three clutches in a year, starting way back in February and going right through into sort of October and November, which allows them, so that's you're probably guaranteed three chicks then a year, say, so you're after replacing yourself plus your partner plus one. So the population is almost always growing by one, if you know what I mean. That's really good numbers in, in terms of, of population increase. As Ricky said, one of the reasons why pigeons are so successful is because of their reproductive strategy, something that is often noticed by casual walkers. So it was no surprise to Dubliner Endicarton to witness the antics of wild pigeons in his local park. Terry, we're up here in the park, so can we walk around here just over towards the railings? Right. And we'll be able to have a better look, and you'll see there, there's more of them, and we have a good vision point of view, and we won't... We won't disturb them. Okay. Now, you can see them there now going around here in circles. Yeah, yeah. And I'm up here now myself. I wouldn't normally look at this, you know, because I wouldn't be in the park. But I'm just recuperating after having a little bit of a heart condition. Okay. And I'm up here more often. And I just began to notice that strange things were happening to me because I'm no expert in things. And I realised the pigeons are at something here. And I said to myself... I'm going to have a good look at this now and see what's happening because it's, 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 it's out of character for me to have an interest in something like this, but I'm fascinated by it. Well, go I'm, on, tell us, what, what are you seeing here? What am I seeing? I'm seeing, look, the pigeons are, are coming in, right? Here at the moment, we have them, look at the moment, look there, we have the, the male. I think he's the bigger fella on the left, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're walking... He seems to be going around and round, round her, is he? He's going round and round her, right? And now he's... And watch him now, look, he's yeah. going to walk, he's, he's walking side They're by side. side yeah. Yeah, hey, it's yeah. way they were courting, you know, the way holding yeah. hands like you'd see in the park or something. And, and look at them now, it looks like they're kissing. They are. Have you seen that before? She's kind of submissive, see the way she's kind of submissive? Yeah, yeah. Right? And when he goes to kiss her, she drops slightly. Yeah. And he kisses her, you know what I mean? And then, uh, as far as I can see, now watch, watch, watch. Yeah. Okay, he's, he's, this is going to happen now. Yeah, she's down and yeah. he's after mounting her, yeah. right? Now, look, he's gone. He's gone. Yeah, God, it's it's it as quick as Jiminy Cricket. It's, yeah. it's, it's just gone like that. And it doesn't take very long and he flies off. 
And this is happening all every day. You see this here with, with lots and lots of pigeons. Yeah, lots of different pigeons around. You'll see it again now and give it five or ten minutes. Now, yeah. sometimes it might take an hour, depending on who's around. But yeah, I'm up here and I see it half a dozen times at least every morning. Yeah, but at, and I these mean, are the wild pigeons. All wild, all wild pigeons coming in. Gicknaz, as we used to call them. Yeah, we used to call them. Yeah, being in the Dublin, the real Dublin term. Yeah, the Gicknaz are here. You know, in fact, that term is often related to people that were a bit stupid as well. We won't <laughs> yeah. go down that road. Who walk like pigeons? Yeah. But anyway, no. But it's it's absolutely fascinating. You know, and it, it's do you know what it's done for me? It's got me now that. Um, I'm trying to get to, to one of my mates from years ago I was in contact who used to keep pigeons and I'd love to go down and have a chat with him at some stage and bring him up here and, may, and he might know more about what I'm looking at but he said oh, yeah, I find it fantastic you know it's a great day, great morning's entertainment you know and you, where else would you see it? To learn more about this behaviour I travelled to North County Dublin to meet Henry Byrne Henry has been keeping pigeons for many years now and is chairman of the Irish Homing Pigeon Union. Well, you know, they are very funny individuals. They certainly are. It's very soothing in here in your loft. That sound, that cooing sound, it's really lovely. Yeah, well, I mean, that's probably part of the attraction where you can come in and you can just stand here and watch them and, and um, see what might be in form for the next race, you know? Now, all these birds in here, these are all the, the, the males, is that right? They're the males, yeah. They're, they're separated from the hens for, the, for racing purposes. Okay. It's it's a it's a it's an incentive thing. They call it widowhood. Right. So you, you you let them pair up early in the season, and then you let them sit on eggs and rare the youngster early, and then you, they then you separate them and they stay separated until they come home from a race every week, and then and they, they come get, back to herself. Is that right? And then they get yeah they come back to the missus. Yeah. Right. So it's a bit like home life, is it? Yes. The whole idea is to try and get them back as fast as possible, and you use the incentive of the hen, right, to make them come faster you know now the actual courtship it's very um unusual in one sense because we've been watching it and we're watching the males and the females i'm talking now particularly about the wild birds and the, the way feral pigeons you yeah mean. yeah yeah well it's exactly the same for all birds i think most birds are, are, uh, mate the same you know yeah. but these guys are monogamous now they mate for life right but um that certainly doesn't stop them having a wandering eye now <laughs> you know they 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 will wander but they will always go back to the same hen even though they have wandered right. it's a peculiar I don't know what the technical term for it would be you know what I mean but but even watching them in that behaviour it, it's very almost loving isn't it the way he, oh it is yeah yeah, he yeah, seems yeah. to be mesmerised by yeah them. well they, they they go kind of into a trance yeah you know and then the hen will bow down and, scr- and bow down low yeah, like a kind of submissive behaviour. Yeah, and then he'll hop up. Well, you've seen it. You've seen it before. They and then we call it what's treading the hen. Okay. Right. And then they do the act, and then they jump off, and then they're all full of they're full of themselves. Then once they once they perform, yeah. they run around. Then the cock runs around, strutting themselves in the hen. They might even clap off. Yes. In, into the distance with that bang on the wings as they go saying oh yeah that's been good though. I enjoyed that thanks yeah, very like much the cat who got the cream let's, let's go exactly yeah. but even watching them as he just before he mounts her they appear to be even kissing yes they, they call it billing right it's just confirming the relationship I think you know strengthening the bond yeah I think it's just it may be they may actually pass food I'm not 100% sure yeah but it's just it's just like a kiss and it cements that relationship. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I say, they pair for life. So the feral pigeons and your pigeons, they would behave very, very similarly. Oh, they'd be, they'd be first cousins. Mm. They all come from the rock dove. But their behaviour would be similar in, in, in the mating process as well. Exactly the same. The feral pigeons would be exactly the same, no different. 100%, yeah, because they, yeah, they are first cousins. Mm. So I suppose we better leave them to it, eh? Oh, leave them to it, yeah. Well, look... You know, what, what can we say? Chance to, to be a fine thing is right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the most famous of all pigeons was the passenger pigeon. At one stage in the 1800s, they numbered in the billions in the United States. However, by the early 1900s, it was a different story. On a September day in 1914, a large delivery truck rolled up to the rear of that building. It carried a 300-pound block of ice, shipped from Cincinnati. Sealed in the ice was the remains of the last passenger pigeon to live on this earth. Yet, 100 years before, it had been the most numerous of all American birds, numbering in the tens of millions. 
We kill them by the barrel, we kill them by the carload, we kill them all. And extinction is a one-way street. That extraordinary audio was taken from a TED Talk on de-extinction. Closer to home, Paolo Viscardi, curator of the Natural History Museum in Dublin, showed me a passenger pigeon from his collection and explained why they became extinct. So this specimen uh, must have come in to us before 1877. Uh, that means that this was acquired when they were still really, really plentiful, um, when there were literally billions of them on the planet. And in the 18th and early 19th centuries, you would get flocks of these birds which could literally contain billions of individuals. They would blacken the skies for days as they flew over during their annual migrations. And they were just you know, an incredible experience. If you can just envisage that you suddenly hear this, this sound rolling in the distance like thunder and the clapping of billions of wings heading towards you and the sky darkening as the birds start to fly over. There are accounts of people running for shelter as, as one of these large flocks would move over because although the noise would be terrifying and, and the kind of the sky's blackening would also be terrifying like the end of the world, people were running for cover because the entire town was about to be whitewashed with guano. We've lots of records of this from ornithologists like, for instance, Audubon, where it was recorded that these flocks would travel overhead for days on end. All you ever hear are these tales of just the sheer scale, just the vast, vast numbers with you know, millions of them flying over every hour. Not millions flying over every hour, but hundreds of millions every hour. We cannot comprehend that now. No, I mean, there, there's nothing like it. The only thing that would come close would be if you, were in, you, know, if you see a, a swarm of locust. It's the only thing that I could think of that would be similar that you might still experience in places today. And this wasn't very long ago. We're talking less than 200 years ago. Yeah, and then all of yeah. a sudden, they're gone. They're gone. Um, and it's a really good example of a species which is gregarious and relies on having quite a high population density to survive. So how did they go then from five or six billion birds down to zero? People. People are usually the problem. And uh, in this instance, it's kind of twofold, really. So one aspect of it is changing land use. So the birds, especially when they're breeding, depended on forests, lots and lots of dense forests and that meant that you're losing your habitat and then on top of that start to get the um, hunting and so what would happen is um, because you're getting the changing land use it means that the birds start to feed on things like the crops that are being grown in those same areas that used to be full of forests full of nuts and seeds and so on and so that means that they become seen as a pest and it means that people start to harvest them on a much more kind of aggressive commercial way as a way of controlling the numbers to stop them from being a pest of crops. And really this is what started that ball rolling towards extinction was losing that reproductive ability for the birds on top of losing their habitat and on top of the persecution of the adult birds. And really um, once you get that kind of interplay happening you, you've effectively signed the death warrant for an entire species. But with the realisation that this once plentiful species is now going extinct, efforts started to be made to conserve them. And I think this is a really interesting concept because it's really what helped to kickstart this idea of conservation of species, about protecting some of the habitat, about protecting the individuals, preventing hunting during the breeding season. These simple, you know, what we now consider to be basic steps in conservation, weren't really considered until this massive population crash that we saw with the passenger pigeon. So the extinction of that one species has probably saved many other species because of just the scale of the loss and the, how obvious that loss of a species really was to people who had experienced these vast, vast flocks which were no longer there. But it's not all doom and gloom. Although the passenger pigeon may have become extinct, others have been brought back from the brink of extinction. One of these species is the pink pigeon. One of the great success stories of the pigeon family would have to be the Mauritius pink pigeon, down to only 10 individuals in the wild in the early 90s. But due to the efforts of conservationists, the Mauritius Wildlife Foundation and Jersey Zoo, numbers have built up to about 400 now in the wild. 
conservationist Peter Phillips explained how he became involved with the pink pigeon. Back in 2001, I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to go and work in Mauritius helping conserve the pink pigeon. Pink pigeons were down to only 10 individuals in the 1990-91 and by 2001 I went over to work to help try and uh, restore and uh, increase the population. So um, I was stationed in a place called Pigeonwood. It's a kind of a, a conifer plantation in the middle of the forest and the birds seemed to like their nesting there because it was they were able to stay away from the introduced crab eating macaque which often predated their nests we set up a supplemental feeding stations so we'd give the birds a little bit of extra food because much of the forest the Mauritius is depleted there's only possibly one to two percent of really good quality forest left and the birds like to eat the buds and seeds and leaves of the native trees so one of the limiting factors for the population kind of rebounding is a lack of food another one is predation and the other one then can be inbreeding because there was such a small population left in the wild. So what exactly did you do? So five stations were set up in the forest in the Black River Gorge National Park and as I said there was only a small amount of really good quality habitat left so one of the jobs we had to do was try and clear some of the exotic plants that had infested the forest provide extra food for them which is really important and we also colouring the bird we cut the birds up colouring them so we could identify each individual which was really important so we could tell which birds were paired to other birds and we tracked that in the forest then as well we, we went out every day we found out where the birds nested what kind of success rate they had in the nesting whether whether the problems were during the nesting or rearing of the chicks so that way we could monitor each individual bird as it carried on through its life why is it called a pink pigeon is it actually pink so it is it's one of the i think it's the only pigeon in the world that's actually almost fully pink so beautiful pink plumage a lovely red bill and brown kind of wings and how successful has the project been the project has been really an amazingly successful project it's um as i said it was they were down to 10 individuals in the wild so they're one of the rarest birds in the world and with the help of humans and the Jersey Zoo, the Doral Wildlife Conservation and Mauritius Wildlife Foundation numbers now in the wild are up to 400 birds and there's four or 500 birds in captivity so there's almost a thousand birds now in the in the world in zoos and in the wild so it's been one of conservation's great success stories. Of course on the Mauritius Islands lived the most famous pigeon of all, the dodo. That's right, it was a large flightless bird and it was only found on the island of Mauritius. Uh, they were bigger than a turkey and they weighed about 23 kilos, so they were huge birds. They didn't fly, obviously their ancestors would have, would have flown to the islands because they were volcanic islands, would have had no birds on them originally. They flew there, there was no predators, so they kind of eventually evolved flightlessness. They're really large. Now when people arrived, the first people to arrive on the islands were Portuguese sailors in uh, 1507 so they were the first ones to describe the dodo. Back in those days they didn't have any freezers or, or fridges on the ship so they used to collect food from the islands so they used to collect the dodos and other birds like pink pigeons, collect them for food and go on their way um, over to Southeast Asia. But obviously as they were collecting them they were depleting the numbers and eventually the poor dodo went extinct. Mm. So whereas it hasn't been very successful for the dodo, it has been relatively successful for the pink pigeon. Yeah, unfortunately the pink pigeon is the only surviving pigeon left in the whole Mascarene Islands. There was a lot of species and they all went extinct. It was the only one to survive and that was really as a result of conservation measures by zoos and the Mauritius Wildlife Foundation. Pigeons, like all animals, are under environmental stresses and one of these is predation. But what are the main predators of pigeons? Tara Adcock. Yeah, so in terms of avian predators, the main ones you think about would be your peregrine and your sparrowhawk. So two very, very quick birds, uh, well able to take down a bulky bird like the wood pigeon or your feral pigeon as well. So you'll often see, say around Poolbeg, you'll see peregrines chasing feral pigeon flocks through the air. It's quite a spectacular sight to see, the, see those flocks in flight. And what about land predators, things like foxes and so on? Do they actually get any pigeons? Yeah, so like if they take a pigeon by surprise, they'll get it. Or some of the young, maybe naive birds that have just fledged, they might get some of those. Or if a bird is sick, of course, they'll take that. Cats as well. Cats will take pigeons and particularly young ones, more naive birds as well, or at dawn and dusk. So those are kind of the key times when birds are taken by cats. Cats are surprisingly 
good at taking down birds. It's it's one of the reasons that they're they're such good predators and they have such a massive impact on our avian fauna. And surprisingly, another avian predator that has kind of recently joined the ranks of those uh, predating on pigeons is the herring gull, which is really surprising. Not, not one that you would expect to be predating on other bird species. With herring gulls becoming more common in our towns and cities, what impact will this have on the pigeon population? And would migration be an option? Ricky Whelan. No, Irish pigeons don't migrate, nor do their British neighbours. And the reason is they're sedentary because they don't need to move because our winters aren't harsh enough. But the birds in the north of us, northern Europe, Scandinavia and uh, in Siberian places, they do, they have to, they're forced to, to migrate. So we do get an influx in the winter of those birds. So most of the pigeons from those areas, they migrate down through Europe, along the sort of western seaboard of the continent and down into the Iberian Peninsula, where there's big oak forests the other side of the Pyrenees basically in northern Spain and a lot of them end up there for the winter and when they run out of acorns and stuff a lot of them will jump then over to Britain and into us and that's when we see these sort of big flocks in the winter time and can we tell them apart? No, it'd be very difficult. So I suppose unless you're, if you see a, a flock feeding somewhere on a cereal field down in Wexford or something in the winter, you could maybe make a safe enough assumption that they're continental birds that have moved across the feed. But it's, it's difficult because ours will also coalesce in flocks for the winter and they become less territorial and they, they will feed together in big flocks. And, and to the point where they've become an agricultural pest in places, certainly in big parts of Britain where they grow a lot of cereals, Probably less so here, but I would say you will find farms certainly are impacted by flocks of pigeons in the winter. And for that reason, they have been a quarry species for hundreds of years with hunters. They're a tasteful bird and the hunting fraternity, I mean, they would shoot so many that they wouldn't pluck the breast. They would always skin a pigeon as a sort of tradition. So, and you just take the breast and you'd fry those or, or whatever. So they are a quarry species for that reason and considered a pest in agriculture. In Ireland, most people can identify the wood pigeon and the feral pigeon. But another species has been steadily increasing in the last 50 years or so. That bird is the collared dove, Tara Adcock. Its story is quite unusual. It originated in subtropical Asia and through either a series of introductions or on its own, under its own steam, we're not really sure how it could be a combination of both. It made its way to Turkey and the Balkans in the 1600s and has been moving west and northwestwards across Europe over the last several hundred years until finally arriving in Ireland in 1959. So that's the earliest record we have of the collared dove in Ireland. So Ireland is the western extent of its range in Europe. But the other thing is that the young, when they fledge they like to move about 600 kilometers away from the nest and they 600 kilometers yeah yeah they'll move so collared doves as adults are pretty resident they won't really go anywhere but the young they'll take off that's a huge distance absolutely absolutely like it's absolutely insane and the other thing about it is that they like to move about 600 kilometers either west in a westerly direction or northwesterly direction so that's why there's this march across europe and they're getting to us in in the very, very western extent of Ireland. So our habitat then must be suitable to the collared dove? Yeah, so they're quite adaptable. They're quite an adaptable species. They like areas um, like suburban areas. They like lowland areas, and they like areas with a lot of tillage, so your cereals and grains, stuff like that. You're not going to find them, say, up in the Dublin Mountains or up in the Coolies, where I'm from. But yeah, they're, they're quite adaptable and our, our climate is, is good for them. But they're also found in people's gardens. Yeah, exactly. So they can survive in these suburban gardens and they'll come to your feeders. So actually, if you want collared doves to come to your feeders, the thing that you can put out is a lot of grains and cereals. Other birds will ignore that, but they will hoover it up. So that's a way of getting these very elegant, very beautiful birds to come into your garden. And it's got this very distinctive call, this united united (laughs) yeah 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 like a lazy man united football fan um as people say yeah it's very very distinctive it's it's really lovely as well and it's a lot um once you get your ear into that united united you'll be able to tell it apart from the wood pigeon very very easily yeah they're totally distinct completely different completely different and with a lot of bird songs that's how you learn them it's through those mnemonics or through just little tricks like that because to be honest, when you're starting out, they all sound roughly the same. But as you get your ear in and you get those mnemonics sorted, you'll start seeing all these differences. And the world becomes a much richer, much more beautiful place as a result of that. There is another story about where the, the collared dove, where its call came from, and indeed where the bird came from itself. Um, so it's a Greek myth. Basically, there was a maid and she was being paid a pittance for her work by her employer, 
And Zeus heard about this and was incredibly angry about it. So he created the collared dove um, with this diodacta call. So it's this call that says 18 shillings over and over again, just to mock and embarrass that employer. So that's where the collared dove comes from. Probably our most common observations of pigeons are in train stations. While we wait for the train, we watch these tame feral pigeons walk along the platforms looking for food and we commonly see their injuries, particularly to their feet. Pigeons often suffer from a variety of diseases and infections, and one of the common ones is a condition called bumblefoot um, that can cause a deformity of the foot and even lead to loss of toes and, in some cases, loss of the foot altogether. This can be a debilitating and can eventually be a fatal disease that pigeons suffer from. It's, it's more common in pigeons in urban areas, um, particularly if you're in areas like railway stations where you've got wrought iron roofing. You'll often see pigeons up on the steel huddled together. So anywhere where they're perching for a long period of time on a rough surface that's not a hygienic surface, they're more likely to get infection in their feet. And then this gives rise to um, sort of lumps and bumps in the feet and deformity and hence the common name bumblefoot. Vet Andrew Bourne explains what bumblefoot is and how it can be treated. It's caused by an infection from a bacteria that you find on the feet of pigeons. Indeed, it's a bacteria you find on our own skin, a common bacteria called Staphylococcus. And it lives on the skin of, of man and animals. And if the skin is, is traumatised in any way, this bacteria, which is harmless when it's on the surface, can get into the deeper parts of the skin and cause infection. And in, in birds where you have quite hard feet, almost like the pads of dogs, the feet are quite hard, the keratin's quite thick there. But if that outer layer on their feet becomes breached and they get a cut or an ulcer or it, it's worn down, that can allow the bacteria to get into the deeper part of the foot and it causes an inflammation and infection. And then the body tries to wall off that infection and so you get some scar tissue building up. So you get a foot that becomes inflamed and scarred and altered in shape um, with the focus of infection deep within the tissues of the foot, usually on the sole of the foot. Are pigeons more prone to this or is it just a case that they're, they're tamer animals that we get closer to them to see it? It's thought that it is more common in pigeons. It's a condition that is commonly seen in captive birds. So if you have captive birds who are sitting on a perch for long periods of time, they're prone to bumblefoot because of sitting and standing for a long time. It's not certain how common it is in other wild birds, but birds who are in natural roosting areas are really less likely to get it because they're standing on natural branches and they're generally more clean. Whereas if you take the urbanised pigeon who's in a city area where they're close together, there's more likely to be droppings on the surface that they're standing on and it's more likely that they're standing on an artificial surface where the material itself is inherently uneven and rough. And it's thought that that can contribute to traumatising the feet because of the nature of the surface that they're standing on and also because there may be a lot of droppings on it from other pigeons in overcrowded areas and therefore there's a greater source of bacteria and, and which will contaminate any wounds that they get. Is it contagious? It's not contagious, but you may find a large number of birds in the same area getting it because they're all exposed to the same environmental problems such as the type of surface that they're roosting on. Does it shorten their lifespan? It does certainly because in the wild of course they can't have any any treatment and so if their own body's immune response doesn't get on top of the infection early on then that infection can spread and they can either become systemically unwell and get like a septicemia and die from that or simply if they lose the use of their of their feet that makes it more difficult for them to feed properly then they're going to become weakened over time and so it does certainly unfortunately shorten their lifespan. So while I'm sitting there in the train station waiting for the train and I'm looking at this poor bird and his feet are in an awful state is there anything that I can do or that can be done for him? It's a really good question and that's something that is debated at length by wildlife experts and um, you know yes if you come across an individual animal who's in distress or bird you can bring him to your local vet and if we can treat them and release them back to the wild quickly we'll do so if they're suffering then we will use euthanasia to prevent them from suffering from you know unnecessarily but in general with wildlife we should really not interfere but they are wild animals they're living in their own natural environment sometimes that environment encroaches on ours but they adapt to that 
and really we shouldn't generally interfere. That seems very sad, but I suppose it's the reality of, of wildlife. There's a cycle of life and there's natural loss. And I suppose we have to, what we do should do is focus on the environment and trying as far as we can to maintain their natural environment, uh, not to interfere with them. And that's really, um, I think, generally uh, what mankind has to do is focus our attention on maintaining the ecosystem and maintaining the environment so that these animals can live in a, a normal life cycle, in a normal environment for them. Although some may not regard pigeons as intelligent birds, this is not the case. Ricky Whelan. During the wars when carrier pigeons were carrying messages in World War I and stuff, there was quite a bit of interest in what their actual ability was. So a lot of research went into pigeons as a family and they found out a lot about their, how actually intelligent they were. And one of the sort of novel tests they can pass where a lot of other species can't is the mirror test. And that's when you put a mirror in front of the animal, be it a, a dolphin or a polar bear or a dog or whatever, and they recognise themselves as if they know it's them, not another dog or a crow or whatever, and start pecking at it as as an enemy or a rival or a foe or whatever but the pigeon what they do with the, to know that they, they recognise themselves is they put a sticker somewhere that the pigeon can't see it and then put the mirror in front of them and what they do is they start trying to pick at that mark if you like so they can re- immediately recognise that it's on them instead of just pecking at the mirror or something like that some other behaviour so they can do that so I mean they pass the mirror test as other intelligent animals do such as ravens some of the parrots can chimpanzees can and dolphins can so a lot of social animals are seen to be intelligent as well and outside of the breeding season the the wood pigeon and and pigeons are quite gregarious going back to the mirror test there so in the case of the pigeon there's a sticker placed on the pigeon's body on some part of the body that he can't see see yeah normally on the sort of above the up well like on the forehead and then the pigeon looks into the mirror yeah sees his reflection sees the spot this foreign spot on their body and tries to remove it but but doesn't try to remove it from the mirror but tries to remove it from his body correct and then when you repeat the test or do control without this sticker they're looking in the mirror kind of going you know where is it where is it or um you know just they, they don't notice anything at all they don't act peculiar at all so looking in the mirror a pigeon realizes that's me yeah which is doesn't sound a whole <laughs> a whole pile but it is it is for an animal like that that has no reason to have figured that out itself if you know what i mean it hasn't learned that it's it's immediately sort of copped that sort of and that's intelligence i mean you can teach animals different things but that's just that's repetition rather than actual intelligence pigeons may be intelligent but that didn't stop the dodo and the passenger pigeon from going extinct and it was only with help from conservation organizations that they managed to save the pink pigeon And even at that, numbers in the wild are still at only 400 birds. But how are pigeons in Ireland faring? Tara Adcock. Yeah, so your collared dove and your wood pigeons and your feral pigeons, they're all looking okay, populations-wise at least. Um, Your rock dove is one to be a bit more concerned about. So basically the rock dove is going extinct through hybridisation with feral pigeons. And the areas where rock doves still exist as a species or a separate species are areas that feral pigeons haven't colonised yet. But what we're seeing is that, for instance, up in the Outer Hebrides, where these rock doves are kind of their purest genetic forms, that feral pigeons are making their way up into those areas and hybridisation could start then. So for the rock dove, things don't look particularly bright, but for our wood pigeon, our collared doves and our feral pigeons, the future is looking pretty good. That programme was compiled and presented by Terry Flanagan. And if you want to hear more documentaries from our Nature on One series, visit our website, rte.ie forward slash Mooney. Until next time, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye.